This is Shifting Our Schools episode 120, ASED's Continual Learning Virtual Keynotes. Listen up, educators. Are you looking to take your classroom to the next level? The technological shift in education is happening right now. If you're looking to integrate technology into your classroom, you're in the right place. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. Welcome back to Shifting Our Schools. Thank you for tuning in and listening this week and subscribing to us in your favorite podcast player. This is going to be a quick intro this week as much like everybody else, uh, this crisis that we find ourselves in with continuing learning and distance learning is uh, taking hold of everything around us and I'm spending my hours now supporting school districts uh, primarily across my home state of state of Washington. I wanted to just quickly uh, give you an introduction and say I hope that you are all staying healthy and you're staying safe out there. And we're starting to really ramp up here in the state of Washington looking at what is distance or continued learning going to look like for the rest of the year. About a week ago, I was contacted by our educational service districts, we call them here. These are regional uh, service districts that oversee many school districts in a region to put together a keynote to support all school districts and all educators across our state. And earlier today, I did a a virtual keynote live on YouTube and was able to capture that audio and turn into your podcast for you today. I'm going to put a link to the slideshow in the show notes of this. Sorry, it's been a long day on Zoom. I'm going to put a link to the show uh, to the slideshow in the keynote. Put a link to the slideshow in the show notes to this episode so that you have access to those while you're listening along or you can just listen to about a one-hour virtual keynote where I roll out a three-phased approach that we are using here in the state of Washington to move into distance or continuing education. I hope this is meaningful to you. Uh, There are more episodes like this to come as we continue to go. Please stay safe out there and I'll see you on the network. If you're watching this as a team, um, hopefully you'll have some time to kind of think about this. Again, the link to the presentation should be in the description, along with uh, just uh, been so fun to partner with uh, the Association of ESDs across this state to be able to bring this to you this morning. Uh, Such appreciative. We have, like everybody, have been in this crisis mode trying to get this planned out and get this to you and their ability to be able to ramp this up. Uh, get out some professional development so that we can support you moving forward as schools and educators. is has just been an honor to, to work with them and all the ESDs across our great state. So I'm excited to be here with you this morning. And I, I've chosen this picture. I was trying to find this morning. I was like, okay, what's a picture that represents the state? How can I, I can take, you know, the amazing uh, ecology we have here in the state of Washington and kind of bring it down to one thing. And so what I want you to think about this morning as we get started is I want you to think of the Columbia River, right, as a unifying force for us here in the state. And I know what's kind of happened here since March 17th when we closed schools is I feel like every school district has been a stream, a stream that is melting out of the mountains right now. And we're just moving downhill at such a fast pace. And I I have to give credit to OSPI and to our state, to all of you doing the work of starting with getting food out to kids, you know, making sure that we are providing health care for our first responders. We have done such an incredible job. I really it's an honor to call myself a Washingtonian in the work that we are doing here in this state as well. But here's what I'm hoping for today. I'm hoping today that we can maybe slow down this pace 
that we find ourselves at, that these streams have been running down our mountains into the Columbia. And what I want us to do today, my hope is today is that we can become the Columbia. We're gonna slow this pace down. We're gonna focus on a direction and we're going to put some systems in place that can support all of us and our students and families as we move forward through this crisis through the end of the year. So I'm gonna go ahead and start sharing my screen with you. So you should see uh, my presentation. Again, you can follow along with this presentation yourself if you would like uh, in the description box to this YouTube live. And here's where we're going to start. First, I wanna give you some background of how how are we ended up here? Where's the information I'm going to share with you is coming from? And understand that our job here is to never stop learning. So first and foremost, if you don't know, I am Jeff Yudick. I was born and raised in Spokane, uh, graduate of Central Valley High School here in front of you and uh, went to a community college, uh, Olympic Community College in Bremerton. So spent some time out on the peninsula where I met my now wife and uh, graduated from WSU, go Cougs, uh, with an elementary ed degree. Uh, I, my wife and I taught here in the States for uh, three years before we decided to move overseas. And it's those experiences overseas that actually have helped me to bring back here. And here's what some of those experiences were of how we ended up uh, or how I ended up kind of where we are here today. It just so happened in 2003, my wife and I were living in Saudi Arabia and due to terrorism, we had to go into a distance learning situation. And I want you to think back to this, right? In 2003, there are, there are no cell phones. Oh, well, they're flip phones, but we don't have smartphones. We had a 56K dial-up access, and we had to graduate our first class of seniors. We had to figure out how to get them credits, and we had to get them to be able to walk across the stage. In 2005, my wife and I, we've moved to Shanghai, and I, uh, we end up in Shanghai when the SARS outbreak happens in Asia, and we ramp up at that school as well, uh, go into some kind of uh, crisis mode of getting teachers trained up, getting systems put in place, uh, we never ended up closing in Shanghai, but we were ready to rock and roll there as well. And then in 2009, my wife and I moved to Bangkok and taught there for four years. Uh, all These are all American international schools, American curriculum standards, much like we are here just in these different countries. Uh, and due to flooding in Bangkok and the H1M1 outbreak, we end up going into virtual school for about a month or distance learning for about a month and going through a, a very similar system. Because of that work and the work that I was doing uh, when I spent my time internationally, in 2011, I was actually invited to Washington, D.C. and worked with the State Department and senators and finding funding and setting up a global virtual school installment. So for international schools, this crisis would happen for international schools that they would be able to quickly move to a distance learning situation. And, and part of that system helped propel international schools to start thinking about blended learning, which is really what this is. If you were doing blended learning before this happened, it makes it such an easy switch. That's gotta be our focus moving forward as we get into this. But we were able to set up that system that you know is allowing schools to do this uh, internationally as well. The other part of this is, is we have to understand that our, our, our friends in Asia are 10 and 11 weeks into this. And we are learning a lot from people who are a lot farther down this than we are. And so we need to take those experiences. And lucky for me, with my time that I've spent in Asia, I still have a lot of contacts there. So we know what's working and what's not working. So that's kind of the experience that I'm bringing to this when we get started. And the first thing that we know when we're talking about this is, and this is what I've loved about our state, is we've been focused on these hierarchy of needs of our kids. That we must first, before we ever worry about school, as school is, or talk about trying to assess kids, we've got to fulfill the psychological safety needs of our students. We've got to show them that there are love and belonging. And we know for many of our students that love and belonging was school, was this physical place we called school. 
And before we ever worry about getting kids back into a learning mindset, we must fulfill these basic needs, which is what I love that we have spent these first couple of weeks getting food out to kids, making sure families are safe, checking in with our most vulnerable kids and trying to fulfill those psychological and safety needs. As we move forward into virtual school, we are going to keep that our focus. We must engage our students at that level before we ever expect to see any type of learning happening in a crisis distance situation. So that's going to be the focus that we're going to use as we go through this, uh, this phased approach. Now, I also wanted to start off with what we know isn't working, all right? What we know is not working and has shown over and over again not to work. Expecting learning on day one, it's not gonna work. Your first day of virtual school, your first day of distance learning, we're not gonna expect learning. It's going to be a process. And what we are learning from schools in Asia, from schools who are ahead of us, is we are talking that it is a minimum three weeks before you can expect full engagement into some kind of new learning system. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to be like the Columbia River here. We've gotta slow this thing down. We've gotta put systems in place in order to move the ship forward. What we know isn't working is digital worksheets. You can't just take worksheets, put them inside Google Classroom or Schoology or Microsoft Teams and think that work's going to get done. We have to think differently about education. We have to think at a whole new level that we haven't had to think about before because we are now competing with Fortnite and Instagram and TikTok at home. And if we can't be as creative as those and engage kids in a new type of learning, we're not gonna, we're not gonna be able to, we're not gonna see anything. So we've got to think different, and that's what we're going to talk about here today. Also, we have to understand that you cannot continue to do what you were going to do anyway. There is no curriculum that was created for a pandemic. We don't create curriculums for this. So we have to think differently about the way that we are going to structure learning. Your curriculum is no longer. It, it doesn't fit this paradigm. You can't take what you were going to do on Tuesday, March 17th and just plug it in and, and believe that we're going to keep going. That's not the way the system works. So we know that there are, we know that school districts are out there trying their best. And we know that you're working out, you're, you know, we're handing out packets of worksheet. We're trying to support families. And what I want us to do is kind of hopefully today reflect on that and start thinking about what are the systems that are going to drive us forward as we move forward with this. And this is a quote. I love this. This is one of my one of my goddaughters out of uh, the Tri-Cities area. And uh, I had her actually read one of my blog posts that kind of, uh, you know, I put out there about my recommendations and tips that a lot of this is based off of. And I said, hey, from, from a high school perspective, do you agree with what I'm telling teachers? And she wrote back and said, yes, please tell teachers don't overload students with a lot of book work and worksheets. We're hearing this from kids. We're hearing this from families. If you, we cannot expect that we're going to take a seven period day of school and just put it online. It, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work for anybody. We're seeing anxiety go up in kids and that's the least of things we wanna do for our students. So we've gotta think differently about this. And here's my hope. Here's my hope for us as a state. Here's my hope for your kids, for your district for your educators. I hope that you feel a little bit like you've been unleashed. You've been unleashed from a curriculum that you might've found to be too rigid, from state tests that maybe you felt put too much pressure on you and your students. You've been unleashed to rethink education in a new way in this crisis. And at some level, I hope we can get excited about that. What I've been hearing for years is I've been working with teachers across this state is teachers are telling me that they feel like the creativity is being drawn out of them because of the pressure we are feeling coming down from all these different avenues. 
And all of a sudden we are finding ourselves that we need that creative spirit more than ever. We're going to have to rethink teaching and learning in whole new ways. And I want you to understand that we've been unleashed. Now, we're still going to be focused on standards. We still want enduring learning to happen. We want to be thinking about transferable skills for our students in the future, 100%. But we can do it differently. We're not playing school. School is over. School is a physical incarnation of learning that no longer exists. We've got to think different about what it means to be a learner and what education means through this crisis and beyond. Because in 2020 and beyond, we got to think different. We're going to have to think in terms of how are we engaging a generation that has gone through this crisis as well. And we've set up these systems in place for learning to look different and kids are going to expect it to look different and they should. So here's the process that we're going to be laying out for you today. And we're gonna walk through this in this keynote. And then we're going to be able to, that if you as an educator sign up uh, it, through the AESDs and be able to uh, structure this and we're gonna support you through the rest of the year. If you are a district, you can bring a team to the table and we're gonna walk you through this and break down these big ideas. And again, those registration links are in the description here if you wanna get that signed up today. But here's what this looks like, right? We're gonna slow this down. Week one is gonna be all about creating your system and that's the week of April 20th. Week two is gonna about preparing for learning. We're gonna prepare and all we're gonna be talking about is engaging kids. We need to engage them before they can learn. So that'll be week two. And then week three, new learning starts. So we're looking at a three phase rollout before we get to this idea of new learning can happen. Now, your school district might already be in one of these phases. And if you are, fantastic. I'm hoping then that this keynote can maybe help you reflect on what are some pieces maybe you've dropped, where do you maybe need to focus? How do you continue to move your district, your team, your teachers down the river? So here's where we're going to start. Week one, here's where we need to start. We need to start creating a system that we are calling your core four. Now, your core four can be made up of four different apps, but very specifically of what we want in this core four. We want what we're calling a home base. On the screen in front of you, what you are seeing is our home base in this example would be Google Classroom. Now, I could replace that with Schoology. I could replace that with Microsoft Teams. I could replace that with something that your school district might have been using anyway. But what we want is we want something that we're calling our home base, a place for that kids can go, parents can go, that we know that's where everything is being posted. Right Now, if you were watching this as a team or you were an educator watching this, you might want to grab a piece of paper, create a circle and see what tools you already have in your core four and what you might want to add. Now, on the back side of Google Classroom, Schoology, Microsoft Teams, whatever it happens to be, you're going to need a place to hold those documents. So in this example, we're using Google Drive, but that could be uh, Office 365. It could be OneDrive. We need whatever that is on the back side. So those two are working together. On the left and right side of your screen, we need two different video apps. We need one video app that does synchronous meetings. So right now, what seems to be the most popular is either Google Meets or Zoom. You can also use Skype out there as a synchronous system. So we need an app that'll do synchronous meetings, Google Meet, Zoom, or Skype. So that's one app. The other app that we need that I would even argue is probably more important <laughs> 
is an asynchronous video app, something that allows both teachers to make videos to hand out to students and at the same time allows students to create videos to turn in as an assignment. Now, here's why we want a core four. We want to start sending out a message that we are going to be using these four apps. That does not mean you won't be using other apps outside of the core four. And we're not gonna introduce any of those other apps until we get into the learning. Our first three weeks, we need to focus in on these core four. At the district level, when you come up with a core four, you know where to focus your professional development. That's where you reach out to your, your ESDs. You find in-house experts. You can focus in on, okay, these are the four things that every teacher needs to know how to do, right? From a district level. Also, from a big level, teachers, I know that you might like to use Schoology and the rest of the school is using Google Classroom. I'm really gonna ask you to get on board with whatever the school decides as your core four, because what we don't want to happen is we do not want a parent at home who might have three children to be trying to support Google Classroom, Class Dojo, and Schoology. Because now students can't, kids cannot help each other at home. So we wanna simplify this from a district level. Come up with your core four, and then we're gonna roll that out as best we can throughout our community. The only exception I would say to that is our K2 kids. Our K2 kids, we might not be using something like Google Classroom. We might just be using an app like Flipgrid, or we might be using a little something a little simpler like Class Dojo. But right now, I want you to focus on what are those four apps? You need two video apps, and you need two apps that uh, are our home base and then have all the documents behind that, right? So that's where you should be. If you have your core four already, fantastic. Number two, we have to think about that we no longer are teaching periods of students. We're teaching them all at once. So we have to blow up this idea. And this is where we get to be creative a little bit, teachers. We have to blow up this idea of, of school. School doesn't exist. The school you knew on March 16th is no longer here. So we have to, we, we get an opportunity to think different. Now, you can set this up however you want. You're going to get a lot of, you know, uh, flexibility on how you want to set this up. But here's some things that I've seen. I was just talking with a music teacher in Connell at North Franklin School District. And she is now setting up a Google Classroom, that's their home base, where her middle school band students are in the classroom with her high school band students. Why? You get an opportunity that all of your band kids get together. I have another teacher who's taken their four periods of algebra kids and put four periods of algebra kids in the same home base. Because you know, in the physical world, we only get 30 kids in a classroom. But in a digital world, I get all 120 kids can learn from each other. If a kid in period one has a question, a kid in period four might have the answer. And we're gonna support ourselves as a virtual community. So I want you to think this way, right? What is the right structure for you? I have one teacher who's put her algebra one and her geometry kids in the same classroom because heaven forbid those two groups of kids support each other. We gotta think differently about what that schedule might look like. And it's not gonna look like the schedule of school, nor should it. School doesn't exist. Learning exists. So we got to think different, right? What's that going to look like? What's best for kids? This week, as we prepare for this, the first thing we want to do is we want to set up office hours. And in this example that I'm showing you, we would be using Google Meets, but you could be using Zoom or Skype, whatever your district decides to do. Now, 
the power of doing office hours, I wanna make this very clear to you, is in office hours, there is no new information given to students. This is not teaching. Our office hours are set up to fulfill the psychological and safety needs of our kids. Office hours are there so kids feel like they belong to something and they feel loved. Our office hours are a way for us to connect in a synchronous way and take care of each other. And we are getting reports from across the state that it's working, that kids are showing up to office hours and they're not talking about the assignment. They just wanna hang out with their friends. They wanna say hi to their teacher. We're getting teachers that are reporting that they get to have conversations with kids about how are they doing. That is what the synchronous system is for. We do not want to have a system where if you don't show up at 11 a.m. for biology class, you miss the content for the day because you do not know what's going on at that family. We do not know what's going on in that house. So we wanna create office hours that fulfills the needs. That's the idea of your Zoom, your Google Meet. We have reports. I've got a teacher that just reported the other day that her first week that she set up an office hour, her first office hour, one kid showed up. She's now into week three of office hours. She's getting somewhere between 70 and 80% of her kids showing up and they're starting to play games. So the other day she said they played Pictionary. So you start thinking, right? It's going to take three weeks before you get there, but they're not doing learning, they're hanging out. The things we know that school is for most of our kids, that's what we're using this synchronous time for. So what we want, we want an office hour, one hour, two or three times a week for conversations between you and your students, just checking conversations, right? And the second paragraph here, we need to either move those time slots or not around or coordinate them, coordinate those times with our colleagues. So here's one thing that we're talking about. If I'm going to have two office hours, and I was a fourth grade teacher, so I'll use a fourth grade example. I might on Monday say my office hour is from 10 to 11, but then on Thursday, my office hour is from 1 to 2 p.m. And why we want to do that is, is we don't know what's going on in that house. We don't know how many devices might be in that house. So we want to give different kids different opportunities to join us. By moving around our office hours, we give the ability for kids and families to reschedule who might be able to get on a device when. We're even getting reports from some of our smaller school districts. We had a report the other day from a school district where the kids came together in an office hour and one of the students in the class now has a full-time job to support their family. Dad was laid off. The student was able to find some work. So the student is working all day. So the kids decided to move their office hour till 6 p.m so that their classmates could join. That's the power of office hours. It's a time and space for us to hang out. And that's what we want. So we need to change those times to make sure that we're supporting families because we don't know what the home schedule is to be able to put those into place. Week one, your assignments, teachers. This would be your assignment, teacher. Set up your home base. Do you know what your home base is? Are you able to get that created? Get familiar with your core four. At the educator level, we need to make sure that our district has said, this is our core four. Educators, it is on you to feed yourself. By feed yourself, go figure out how to learn Google Meets. If you've never used Google Meets before, how are you going to use Google Meets? Reach out to your ESD. Do they have training? Is your district providing in uh, district support training? And 
you can also use the largest educational network ever created by mankind, YouTube. YouTube has these tools. You can watch a couple YouTube videos and figure it out. So you're going to have to feed yourself. Know what your core four is and learn your core four. That is your goal in week one. Start to build your home base. If this is your home base, focus on that. What information needs to be in there? What does this look like? As we sign, if you sign up for these trainings, we're going to really start, especially here at the beginning, focusing in on what are some things that should go into that home base. For example, you're going to want to frequently ask questions document. You don't want kids asking questions in the stream of Schoology or Microsoft Teams because it gets chaotic. We got to create a frequently asked questions document where we all support each other as a community. You also need to come up with a drop schedule. The number one complaint we are hearing from parents and from students is that they're getting too many notifications coming out of all of these networks. So what we want to do is we want to slow it down for our families and we wanna create a drop schedule. By drop schedule, this is what I mean. If I, again, was a fourth grade teacher, my drop schedule would be, I would send out to my families through my home base, through Google Classroom, I would be telling my families, my new learning will be dropped to you Mondays at 9 a.m. And that's the only thing I post on Monday. Monday at 9 a.m., the very top of my Google Classroom, Schoology, whatever it happens to be, you're going to find the new learning. And we do not continue to post throughout the day because every time you post something, you're sending new notifications to families and kids. Those notifications pile up. People aren't looking at them anyways. Anxiety levels go up because you feel like you're missing something. So we got to slow this down. So we got to come up with a drop schedule, right? My new information will be in Google Classroom at, here's the time and date. Now there's two ways that we are seeing that are successful at this. Both ways seem to be working. You need to know your students. You need to know your school. You need to know what is best for you and your schedule. One way that's working, especially in the elementary, at the elementary level, we are seeing parents who are really enjoying one drop day on a Monday. So for example, I'm going to drop everything on Monday at 9 a.m. for the entire week. Elementary parents are saying that they like that because they get to see the whole week schedule and then they get to create their family schedule based around all of the information at once. At the middle school, high school, we are seeing that we are dropping things on a day-to-day -day basis based on what we want kids to work on that day. And I'm gonna show you some example schedules here in a little bit. So for example, on Monday, we only drop ELA and science. On Tuesday or on Wednesday, we drop math and social studies. So we're just giving exactly the information they want the moment they want it, especially with our middle school and high school kids who are going to be more independent learners. We know this generation would rather see small bits of information than large, at a large bits of information at a time. So we've got to chunk it for them so that they know what to do. All right, so those are kind of our things this week. Now let's talk about that schedule. This is something else we've got to do. We've got to find a schedule. And again, we're not thinking school. We've got to think outside of school. In fact, I'm hoping that these schedules somehow make it back into school when we're back into it. But here's we go, all right? We are hearing from kids who are, who, where districts are adopting a schedule that looks more like the one you're seeing on the screen. They're actually enjoying it because they have time to focus. We're not doing six periods in a day. Six periods in the day is a physical you know, a, a physical limitation that we have on time and space. We don't have a physical limitation on time and space. So we got to think different. 
So here's what, here's a proposal. And please, please know that this is an example of a plan. You do not have to adopt and nor should you adopt the one that you see on the screen. But I want you to think through the reason why we're here. Number one, we need to know that OSPI has come out and said at the middle school, high school level, we're trying to engage kids for roughly three hours a day of focused learning, not seven or eight, three hours. If we can get a great three hours of focused learning out of kids, that is going to be success. That is what OSPI has come out with for the state of Washington. All right. So here's the schedule, what the schedule might look like. On Monday, we're going to just have ELA and science. Tuesday, we repeat that. Now, the reason why we repeat those back to back is if we're looking for three hours, if I'm an ELA teacher, I know that I've got an hour and a half of rough time on Monday, and I'm going to get about another hour and a half on Tuesday. So now I can think in, in ideas of, okay, I've got three hours this week. I'm only going to drop my information on Monday. So how do I create projects? And this is, again, we gotta be creative. How am I creating learning situations that are gonna span over two days that kids can dig into? And kids are liking the schedule because they like to be able to focus on something for longer than a 50 minute period. We don't have that anymore. So let's think about how do we use this time for students? And we've chunked it, especially for our middle school and high school kids. Monday and Tuesday, you're only focused on ELA and science. On Wednesday and Thursday, you're focused on math and social studies. Now, I was working with the Ording School District to come up with a schedule and they added in world languages. So now we're looking at this and we're still focused on three hours a day. So for Ording School District, theirs looks something similar to this, but you notice on Tuesday and Wednesday, world languages has an hour. So if I'm an ELA teacher, I just went from an hour and a half on Monday and one hour on Tuesday. So I've got about two and a half hours just for ELA. I got about two and a half hours for science. I'm getting about two hours of world languages and two and a half hours for math and social studies. Now, this also is supporting teachers and educators because we want to slow the system down for them as well. If I'm an ELA teacher in this example, I'm going to drop my new information on Monday and my hold my office hours on Monday and Tuesday. So my Monday office hour might be at 10 a.m. My Tuesday office hour is at 1 p.m. On Wednesday, Thursday, as an ELA teacher, I am starting to look at where kids are. What is the information that's coming back? Students are starting to complete work. I have a time to give those students feedback. I'm starting to think about what is next week going to look like. I'm gonna be creating my direction videos or my instruction videos, and I'm getting ready for next week. Then on Wednesday, Thursday, the math, science, and world language teachers take over. Math teacher drops their stuff Wednesday at 9 a.m. They hold their office hours on Wednesday and Thursday. Friday would be the electives. And you notice I say the weekend because just because you drop on that day doesn't mean that only the learning could last that day, right? This thing kind of gets this, you understand, it kind of gets a roll when you, we get into this. So that's an idea, right, of, of what a schedule can look like at the middle school, high school level. At the elementary level, we're looking at the OSP recommendations for time spent. So pre-K three, uh, 30 minutes, grades K and one, about 45 minutes, grades two and three, about 60 minutes, grades four and five, about 90 minutes. And what we wanna do again is we gotta take that time then and we wanna chunk it into different learning situations. So just as an example, as an elementary teacher, I might be saying, okay, Monday is gonna be my reading writing activity, math and science. Tuesday, another reading writing activity, science and social studies. Right? 
And so if I'm, for example, I was a fourth grade teacher, I'm looking, I got 90 minutes. So I'm looking at 30 minute activities, right? 30 minutes, what, what's 30 minutes for reading, writing? What's 30 minutes for math? What's 30 minutes for science? Or I'm starting to think in large interdisciplinary projects. I'm starting to think like, okay, school doesn't exist. What if I was able to take that time and create a major beautiful project that uses the world as our curriculum? What would that look like for my kids? I wanna show you an example of that here in a second. So at the elementary level, we, kinda, we can think, if you need more structure like this of what should happen day by day by day, you can do that. And again, at the elementary schedule, what we're hearing from parents is your drop day would be like on Monday, 9 a.m. for the entire week. Here's what your kids should be doing. Here are choices that you have within that that you can do as a family or as parents. We're also seeing at the elementary level of starting to take this idea of reading for 30 minutes. Families are stuck at home. So reading for 30 minutes a day is a family activity. What if there was family read time for 30 minutes a day? What if there was three days a week, go outside and do activities? We have PE teachers across the state that are starting to put out activities about playing games from around the world. Go outside, play tag as a family. What would that look like? So PE teachers, how are we starting to think about giving out directions, making videos, showing kids how to play a game with your family and getting families active together? Those times are not inside this schedule. If we're just gonna be a district that's like 30 minutes of family reading time, three days a week, four days a week, every day, whatever you decide, that's outside the schedule. As families, everybody, take time out, read for 30 minutes. I don't care what you read, I just need you reading right? So be thinking about that as we move forward. Um, what are those things that we want to say, look, this is just what good families do when you're stuck together. The last thing then in this week one, this creating your system is going to be managing or setting up your team meetings, right? We know that districts who are moving fast, districts who are moving together are districts who are meeting together. We also know we have teachers who need to support each other. So you should be meeting with your PLC teams, you should be meeting with your um, department teams at least twice a week to start because we're all having to think differently. Our curriculum's gone. We have to support each other in thinking bigger terms. What does this look like? How are we supporting each other at an emotional need? And how are we supporting our kids? What's working? What's not working? Because each one of our districts and the kids inside our districts are coming from a diff different point of view, right? So we need to support from each other. Hopefully you've got those set up already, but that is a critical piece. Then the next week, after we get our system set up, then we're going to move into preparing for learning. No new learning has started yet. We're just preparing for new learning to start. So week two is all about getting engagement. If you want to write down a word in your notes right now, in all capital letters, it's engagement, engagement, engagement. We cannot teach kids until they are engaged with us again. So the most you're going to do is you're going to put out some review information. Hey, before school started or before school stopped, do you remember this is what we were doing? Here's some review. Do you remember we were talking about this? We were talking about that. That's what we're doing this week. I want, this is the week that teachers make their first video for, for students, right? Make a video for students to see and hear from you. This is your asynchronous video. So in my core four, this would be using Screencastify. This is not being synchronous. This is you starting to make videos so kids are used to getting information from you even though they're not live. And your first video to your classes needs to be you reintroducing yourself to them like it's the first day of school. So if it was me 
in my fourth grade class, I do something like this. Hey everyone, how are you? Oh, so good to see you again. I miss you guys so much. And I hope that you are being safe. I hope you're helping your families out through this. And I'm really excited that we're going to get back together and we're going to start learning again. Do you remember before school stopped, I was always talking about my big cats that I have at home. Well, guess what? You get to meet my big cats. Look at my big cats. This is AD. This is Wix. I'd introduce them to my cats. If I talk about my spouse in my classroom, I'd be introducing them to my spouse. I might even tell my kids, be like, hey, I have set up a place in my house where I do my learning and my work from my new desk. And I would take the kids on a tour like, this is my new setup. What's your new setup look like? I might even be asking kids like, oh, during this time, my wife and I started gardening in the backyard and we were creating this cool garden. That's our project. Have you been working on a project at this time? Well, what projects have you been working on at this time? Teachers, this first video to your kids is about having fun. They wanna see your face. And I know so many teachers don't like looking at themselves in the camera. You're gonna to have to get over it. Your kids look at you every day. They love you. They wanna see you. They wanna hear from you. Khan Academy videos are okay. They're nowhere near a replacement for you as a teacher. We've gotta be making videos for our kids to watch. Also this week, you're gonna be setting up your first office hour. You're gonna drop that link to Google Meet. You're gonna drop that link to Zoom inside your Google Classroom or Schoology, and you're gonna hang out for an hour. And if nobody shows up, that is okay. You're starting to create a system and it's going to take two or three weeks before you're going to get all of your kids there. And again, remember, this is a check-in time. How are you doing? How is your family? Can I wave to your mom, right? We're creating and fulfilling those needs of students before we ever worry about going into a learning situation. Start talking about, hey, I need you to check back here at Google Classroom every Monday at nine o'clock, new learning is happening. That's what this looks like, right? Now, I want to stop for a second and pause and talk about why asynchronous videos as instructions are so powerful. This is using, in my example, Screencastify, or some people are using Screencast-O-Matic, another great app. Choose one, whatever it is, it's the right one for you in your district, but choose something. But before we ever got into this crisis, and all those teachers that have been in trainings with me for the last three years know that I beat this drum to death, because there's research behind it in 2020 and beyond. There's research behind it that we are teaching a media first generation who has watched more media than any generation before. And their brains are being wired different for it. But here's what the research shows. And I've got the links to this in at the end. It comes from Vanderbilt University. That we know that a good instructional video needs to be between three and five minutes, not 15 minutes. You're going to be making instructional videos that are no longer than five minutes. And here's the crazy part. I had a teacher the other day said, okay, well, I'm an algebra teacher. It takes me longer than five minutes to explain how to solve an equation. That's okay. And I don't know why this works, but the research shows we as humans, when we are looking at videos, we would rather watch three, five minute videos than one 15 minute video. I don't know why, but that's what it shows. So as teachers, and this is part of what we're doing in our trainings, if you sign up, you will wait, you will make a video and if you're an algebra teacher, I'll just keep using this example. And I haven't showing kids how to solve an equation. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make a, a, my first video. But at the end of the first video, there has to be an action step. So I might only solve the first third of the equation. And at the end of the video, because I'm getting close to my five minutes, at the end of the video, I'm going to say, okay, 
Stop watching the video here. And I'd like you to finish the equation to this part. Once you've gotten to this part, come back and watch the second video. So kids go away, they do a part of the equation, they come back and watch the second video. They go away and do part of the equation, they come back and watch the video. So we can take a 15 minute instruction and we're gonna chop it down into three five minute parts, all right? Now, why do we know? What's the research say? Asynchronous videos show gains in learning. The research is out. Using video as an instructional tool actually shows gains in learning. In fact, the research shows if you, the teacher, make the video, we see gains increase even more because your face matters. The relationship you have with your kids matter. And we've got to start implementing this in our classrooms now. We also have to understand when we make asynchronous videos that we have given control of learning of pace over to students. Right now, when I'm doing this, because this is synchronous, if you're watching this live, you're not controlling the pace of learning. I'm controlling the pace. However fast I talk, is how fast the information is coming at you. But when we watch an asynchronous video, if you were to go back and watch the recording of this, you get to pause it, fast forward it, skip portions of it. I've given control at which the pace of information is coming at you over to you, the learner. And that is power. When we say students need to be in control of learning, one of the ways we give control of learning to students is the pace at which information comes. That's what asynchronous videos do. They also engage a media first generation. They allow students to see us because they love us. And they allow us to meet the individual needs of students through accommodations. Because if I have a student with special needs in my classroom, I'm gonna make a specific video just for that kid. If I have a bunch of students who are uh, ELL students in my classroom, they might get a separate video with separate instructions. And all of a sudden I can use video to differentiate my instruction to kids in my classroom. That's the power and each set of those subset, each subset of those of my students can get a uh, video that is particular to them. That's the power of asynchronous video and why we need to have that app in our core four. We also have to be thinking in terms of video, 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 because if there's any device that a family has at home, the number one device that a family probably has is a phone. And if all you have is a phone, you have two cameras in your house. If you have two cell phones, you have four cameras in your house. The camera is the number one piece of technology we can rely on in a house. If a family has any connection whatsoever, they're going to have a camera. We can, almost, we can assume that. So now we have to think in terms of when I'm giving out projects, can students turn in assignments via video? Can students turn in assignments by taking a picture of something that they created in their house? And the cool thing is, is when kids send us video, we get to assess the process of learning, not the product. And we know that learning happens in the process, not the product of that that was created, especially when we're talking about creative projects, which we should be in this uh, time and space. We get to hear and see misconceptions in the brain. And again, this isn't new. This has nothing to do with distance learning. This is good teaching in the year 2020 and beyond. This is going to forever change education when we get back to traditional classrooms. What are some of the other structures that I've seen that I'm really excited about? This is one, there's a link here at the bottom of this slide. If you've downloaded the slide deck, which again is in the description of this video, you can click on that link and you can go get this for yourself. But this is a teacher 
who has created, happens to be a Google, uh, Google Sheet, but you could do this in Excel as well. And then she has shared this with all of her kids because you have to remember now, right? We, we have kids in all different situations. We don't know how fast. The idea of due dates, I think, is something we're going to have to let go of for right now. We're going to let go of due dates for right now. But that doesn't mean we can't still track what students are working on. And this is a system where the students do the tracking. Third through 12th grade, if I was a fourth grade teacher, I'd definitely be doing this. Third grade teachers, I'll kind of do that with a question mark. I think they could handle it, especially with a little parent support, but I think they could handle it. I would be setting up a system like this where every student would be telling me what they're working on. You tell me what you finished. You tell me what assignment you're working on. You tell me what you need support with. And if I have a student who is not moving on here, I know what student to reach out to. What a great system to help turn ownership of that responsibility over to our students. Setting up some kind of system using technology so that kids are telling us when they're ready for the assessment, when kids are telling us, this is what I finished, this is where I'm at, then we don't have to guess anymore. But it also means giving up control. <laughs> and we know what the big C word in education, control, right? We've got to give up control. We have to support kids in doing this and taking control of telling us what they're working on. Just an idea. So then week three, learning begins. And this is where we're at, right? In week three, learning begins. And here's the questions that I want educators to start asking themselves as learning gets ready to begin. How am I taking advantage of my new reality? My new reality is I have kids who are stuck in the real world, which means how am I taking, how am I taking advantage of real world scenarios in my teaching? One of the things that I like to think about right now, and I'm trying to help educators get their mind around is whatever age that you teach, can you think back to when you were that age? And what was it that you liked to do with your free time? What is it that you like to do with your free time? And then what was the learning that was involved in that? So for example, I'm even thinking of my classroom and I'm thinking maybe I'm a middle school teacher. And I'm like, you know what? I've got a bunch of kids who love to skateboard. What is the learning involved in skateboard? And all of a sudden I'm thinking to myself, there are angles, there's speed. I can do science, I can do math and kids are gonna be out on their skateboards. And all I need them to do is film themselves skating, use that information to figure out speed and trajectory just around skateboarding, right? How am I using the world as my curriculum? How am I thinking about what do kids have access to out here that we don't, not in school, but I also have to think about what are the transferable skills that I now want kids to be focused on because they are, they're stuck in the real world. So what is it that it is that we work on in classroom that actually is that uh, transcends that and moves outside. How can I get students to collaborate across time and space, especially at the middle school and high school level? How am I getting students to collaborate, work on projects together, create a presentation together, create videos together, make things together? That is a skill set for the future. Knowing how to collaborate across time and space is a skill set that kids need to have moving forward. And thinking to myself, video, video, video. How can I have kids create videos that I can use for assessment peer uh, purposes. I'd also be starting to think in large interdisciplinary projects. How do I create amazing, wonderful projects for my kids to be able to use? So I wanted to show you some examples as we get ready to wrap this up here. I wanted to show you some examples that are already coming out from different school districts and things that we know are working. So on your screen now, I'm not gonna play this, but if you have that, um, 
if you have this presentation, you can actually play this and watch this. This is Shannon. Shannon is a fourth grade teacher in Enumclaw. And this was her first video to her kids. This is a video that she sends out to her kids. She wakes up in the morning, she grabs a cup of coffee, she sits down and she just starts talking to her kids, telling them how much she misses them. This is a great example of that first video. There's no real learning. We're not worried about outcomes. We're worried about saying, I miss you. We're worried about checking in on your health and your parents. She tells the kids she's in her PJs. She's in her house with the sun coming up. That's what your first video is about. They wanna see your face. They wanna see you smiling. Shannon has also started to think in terms of large interdisciplinary projects. She's already thinking in terms of how am I going to use the world as my curriculum? Or how am I going to use the house as my curriculum? Or if I'm a fourth grader, what did I think was fun to do at home? She came up with this project called the Fort Building Challenge, where kids were asked to build a fort out of cushions and blankets and chairs like kids like to do. She then asked herself, what's the learning I can wrap around that project? So for math, she had the students, for math, she had the students measure the perimeter of her, of their uh, fort. She had the students write the process of building the fort, procedural writing. She had the students do all of this stuff in her curriculum about their fort. And then for social studies, she had them actually go out and research forts around Washington. So this is her drop. So in Google Classroom, she uses Google Classroom. In Google Classroom on Monday and only on Mondays, she drops the learning for the week. This is an example of what it looks like. You're going to build a fort. The only thing is you do not, you're not allowed to buy anything. You got to use what you have. It can be inside the house, outside the house. Down at the bottom, you can see she has all of the resources that kids are going to need, right? So this is what she puts out. This is her one drop for the week. Here you go, kiddos. Here's your week. Big interdisciplinary projects, right? Things that we can do. Now, it doesn't have to look that way. I think it's awesome if it does, but it doesn't have to. Here's another example of a teacher who created a video helping kids tell time because that's where they're at. And then ask kids to find something around your house that you can make a clock out of. So what would 527 look like on a clock? And so they put out the instructions in a video, again, allowing kids to pause it, replay it, rewind it, however many times they want. As I'm always constantly telling teachers, if you ever thought to yourself, if only I, if only I could clone myself in the classroom, you now have the opportunity to do that. You can clone yourself. You can answer the same question a hundred times and never get tired. <laughs> That's the power of video, all right? Just another idea. Now, I know that not all of our kids are actually connected. And I know right now as we're doing this live, I know Tyler is in the chat room. People need to give a shout out to Tyler. This is his choice grid that he made for his high school ELA students. And Tyler has kids who aren't connected. Tyler lives in Sunnyside where there are kids who don't have a signal. And we don't want to be sending home packets of worksheet. And what we know is we know kids want choice. Kids need choices. If we're going to engage these kids at home, we can't, we can't just say do one through seven. We've got to give them choices in what they decide to do. So this is a choice grid that Tyler created for his, for his class. And I love it. He's an ELA teacher. So interview a caretaker about their life, right? Do 30 minutes of a physical activity. Write about how you want to positively impact the world if you're a high school kid. Write a story that starts with the following line. I never expected it to turn out this way. And Tyler has even put in here that the parent or guardian initialed the box when the task has been completed. 
because we don't have connectivity with all of our kids. This is what we need to be focused on. Yes, we're going to be sending home packets to our kids who aren't connected, but those packets shouldn't be worksheets. They should be packets of choice grids that kids can do. And we know choice grids work. We know choice grids work because this is my other goddaughter down in the Tri-Cities who is bored at home. So she's making her own choice grids. She is playing on Instagram. I stole these off her Instagram account. On Instagram, she's constantly sharing her 30-day song challenge. You could make a challenge, right? What do you want kids to do in 30 days? Make it a choice. So this is a song challenge where every day she has to find a piece of music that fits that challenge. So for example, the one that's uncovered now is a song that makes you think about life. That's her next challenge. The one on the right is quarantine bingo. And I actually told her that I was taking a screenshot to share with you. And she said, well, make sure you tell them I created it, right? And she shared this with her friends. They're playing choice boards. They want choices. So when we give out assignments to students, whether they are connected or not connected, they want to have ownership. And when we create choice grids, we're giving ownership of the path, right? Ownership over pace, ownership over path. I get to choose my path of learning. That is what makes choice grids so powerful in the learning system. Here's another one I found. This one is based on STEAM, right? Science, technology, engineering, art, and mathematics. This teacher shared this one on Twitter and she sends this home. She drops it Monday at 9 a.m. And by Friday, the goal is you've done two in each one of these, but you get to decide. And the reason why this also works, especially at an elementary level, is we know at the elementary level, we have a lot of parents who are going to need to support our kids. So when I give choices, I'm not just giving choices to kids. I'm giving choices to parents. So parents get to come in here and say, oh, you know what? That would be really fun. I think that would be fun to do with my kid. And so we are giving choices to people. People want choices. They want to feel like they have control over something. And we can give them control over the path of which the learning happens and still meet the enduring understandings and the outcomes that we need kids to meet. This is a teacher that I happen to be working with in Luxembourg right before we got the stay-at-home order here. I was in Luxembourg working with the International School of Luxembourg. And this is a world language teacher. This is a French teacher who knew we were going, knew they were going into a virtual situation, going into distance education. So she decided that what she was going to do as a world language teacher was focus on culture, right? Her culture standards. So she has decided to make a video. She uploads it to YouTube. You can go follow her at the YouTube link below. But she makes a video once a week where she goes to a French speaking country. She speaks all in French and the kids have to listen to her. They have to try to figure out through her clues what country she is visiting. Now, she's gotten really good at this. She has a green screen in the background where she's using video to help set herself up. In this video, this is week three. She's at home with her two sons and her husband and the whole family is involved. So her husband shows up in the video as somebody she meets on her travels. She's embedding this into a Google form. She's getting feedback from kids. Kids have control over the pace. They can rewatch the video 10 times as they're trying to answer the questions, right? And I don't want us to forget about amazing opportunities like using something like Google Earth. No matter the age of kids, for we love looking at our planet. And there are so many great resources built into something like Google Earth and Google Earth is now completely online. So you don't have to download it. It works on Chromebooks. It works on any kind of laptop device. 
And so we want to take advantage of this. Built inside of Google Earth now, you can have kids build their own projects. They can build mapping stories where they tell stories based on a map. If you go in here and on the left-hand side, you will see one that looks like a ship's wheel. And if you click on it, it's called Voyagers. It has map overlays of historical maps for social studies teachers. There's science overlays over the latest hurricanes and tropical storms for science. There's a game button where you can play Carmen Sandiego. I played Carmen Sandiego growing up, one of my favorite games. You can now play it inside Google Earth. And there's all kinds of educational voyages built into Google Earth that are based on our standards that kids can do. So I want to think that the world is our curriculum, right? It's out there. We just have to find ways to package it and present it to our kids that is in an engaging way. And here's what I want us to remember as we wrap this up. Not doing anything is far worse than trying to do something. We've got to support our families and our kids. And we've done such a fantastic job of getting meals out to the most needy, being able to meet the psychological and safety needs, trying to set up daycares and care systems for our first responder students, right? But what we wanna do now is we need to move forward and we need to think about how are we going to support them? And it's not gonna be perfect because it's in, we're not in a perfect situation, but we've gotta try and do something to support our families and our students as we move forward. And I want us to continue to ask, what if I taught as if the world was my curriculum? Because we're going to get back to school someday. And when we go back to school someday, this remains. We still get to teach as if the world was our curriculum. That's the power of living in this time. The power of living in this time is the power of understanding that we can use the world as our curriculum when we teach. Now, as we wrap this up, part of what this is with my partnership with AESD is we have created two strands to support schools and educators across the state of Washington. One strand is for administrative teams. So we're asking administrative teams of four at a district or school level can come together. You are going to get six sessions between April 21st and March 14th. Those sessions are going to focus exactly on the three stages, supporting administrative teams of rolling this out. What does this look like moving forward? Every single one of our sessions has focused action items to help move your district along. And I know there are districts out there that we've already started this process with. I don't know if any are in the chat room, but we're moving, right? Action items, here's what you need to accomplish. We come back together, what did you accomplish? What do you need support on? Here's your new action, action items, right? We're going to create a distance learning system that works. Educators, if you want support, we've got two strands for you. You can either, from the educator strand, if you sign up, you can do four sessions over the next two weeks. So you're gonna get four sessions, two sessions a week because we're gonna ramp up quickly so we can get into this. So you're gonna get two sessions next week, the week of April 21st, and then two sessions the week after that. If that's all you want, you can sign up for that, get those four critical sessions that start talking about these phases, your core four, and get you rocking and rolling. You can sign up for that and go. Or we would love to support, and what I love to do and the work that I do with districts is long-term professional development because we know it takes time. The mind doesn't change overnight, so we wanna support educators through this. As an educator, you can also sign up for, our, for 10 sessions. You're going to get the same four sessions as the others. So it's going to be a quick ramp up, two sessions a week for two weeks. And then you get one session a week all the way until June 12th, where we're going to check in with you. We're going to be there to answer your questions. 
We're going to help fulfill those social, those psychological and emotional needs, make you feel loved and belong that you're doing the right thing. You're moving forward. We get to go deeper into assessment. We get to go deeper into how do you create distance learning situations that are authentic for kids. If you want all 10 sessions, we will support you starting next week through the end of the school year. And thank you to AESD for being able to support this across our state at the state level. The rest of these slides are for you. These are links to the research, links to the two blog posts that I wrote. I have a weekly podcast that is supposed to go out today at noon. That's probably going to be a little bit late, but uh, there's all focused on, on distance learning right now and virtual learning and supporting our kids. There is uh, academic uh, academic research. You can see the one I wrote there with a professor from Whitworth University uh, about a lot of this. The new theory that we're using with this is called the connectivism theory. If you heard that, we break that down with that peer-reviewed article and some other resources there to get you started. I've also put in here other resources for teachers and for districts. What's the structure of a good video mini lesson? And also what might a remote learning lesson design kind of look like? What are we trying to get to? So that's it for me. I hope that you, uh, I hope that this helped maybe bring some clarity for you. I hope that we get to support you more by signing up. Again, you can sign up if you want to right now. The links to the PD enroller from AESD can be found in the description uh, to this show. So I, I hope we are here to support you. I hope to see you for the rest of this school year, uh, whether that's from an admin time, supporting admin teams or from a teacher side. But even if you don't sign up, Please know that I, I love the work that we're doing in the state. We need to slow this down and become the Columbia River. We're going to bring our streams together. We're going to move forward and we are going to do education in a very collaborative way where we move this state forward that is forever going to change education in the state. And so thank you, thank you for tuning in. If you want to uh, watch this again live, the recording will be here, but we are doing this again live on Friday or if there are other educators or administrators that you would like to watch this, know we're doing this again live on Friday, you can contact your ESD or contact AESD for the link where we will be live. Until I see you again on Friday, stay healthy and stay safe. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit sospodcast.org, facebook.com slash Jeff Udick, and on Twitter at judick. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Shifting Our Schools.